Let's read God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and forever. Father, we thank you for that truth. We ask now that you would cause the reading and the hearing to be efficacious and the preaching to be faithful. Protect your servant from from wayward words and cause us to be changed, transformed by the power of the gospel that that is pregnant in this verse. We love you. And ask you to do this for us because we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. As uh, Carol and I were rearing our children, we read all the good biblical counseling books on child rearing at that time. Those, of course, always included good chapters or two or three on biblical discipline. We were reminded that we were to administer discipline in all its forms, including the rod. We translated that into those wonderful Lowe's or Sherwin-Williams paint stirs. Started with a little one, the gallon stir, and we learned soon you had to move to the five-gallon stir that's more akin to a baseball bat. Shaved down, of course. But unlike my high school teachers, I would remind you, they, we didn't bore holes in them or do any of those uh, extraneous things to make it punitive. This was for discipline, not punishment. And we were reminded in those books what the Bible tells us, that we're to do this, not out of anger. And this is a tough one for parents, isn't it? Particularly if you're out in public. Not out of embarrassment. You don't discipline your children because they've embarrassed you. Now, they may deserve discipline at that point, but don't do it out of embarrassment. Do it out of love. The goal, of course, of discipline, of correction, is not punishment, but correction and redirecting wayward hearts from sin to the Savior. That's always the point of discipline. And so the discipline, whatever it was, was always preceded with an explanation to our children of what they had done wrong, why they deserved this correction and why the correction was necessary. It was to bring them to a good place with God and man. That's the whole purpose of discipline, whatever it is, whatever type of discipline it is. So we would often say, I would say, your mom and I love you and we want God's best for you. And that's why we're doing this. And then we'd do it, then we'd pray and ask the Lord to use it to turn the little hearts 
out of their sin to Jesus. You say, what on earth has that got to do with this? Well, if you remember last week, we talked about what this little letter is about largely, and it's largely about, after we get through the commendations, it's about correcting the church. If you remember, there's, there's three things that we're going to see when we get through all of Paul's encouraging words to the church. And that is, it's going to be a call for them to, to extend greater brotherly love to one another. It's to live more holy lives. And it's to think properly about doctrine that they have gotten wrong. Particularly concerning those who have died in Christ and the coming of Christ, the second coming. That's the particular issue doctrine. And so, this is about discipline. We sometimes forget that, don't we? I mean, the preaching and teaching of the church is, a, is, is part of discipline. You hear it right there in the word discipline is discipling. And so, you're disciplining your children when you're having family worship in the evening, teaching them the right things so that they don't veer off to the left or to the right to do their own pleasures, but to do that of the Lord. Some of you may be sitting here, I hope not, but some may, and say, you know, we haven't been disciplining our children. Well, it's never too late. And you start by apologizing. That this is not a sermon about discipline. But we're compelled to think about that, aren't we? Because the Lord is about to discipline this church, disciple this church out of sin into the right way. And it's because he loves the church. He loves her. He loved the church and gave his son for her. So it shouldn't surprise us, as in the book of Hebrews, that he disciplines those whom he loves. That's the reason we parents discipline our children, is because we love them. We care about them. Well, how much more our Lord loves us and disciplines us. But before he gets to the discipline part, He wants to tell them how much he loves them. And that's particularly notable in this verse. So we want to look at it, and then we'll move on, as I said, next week. So the first thing we see before he starts his instruction, his discipline to them, he wants them to know how much God loves them, he being Paul, writing on behalf of his partners in the, the mission, Silvanus and Timothy. And first thing he does is he salutes the church. And you might say, well, why did you choose the word salute? Well, because the church historically has used that word. It's a salutation. We might just say it's a greeting. In our Dutch Reformed 
brothers in their in their churches if you go into the worship service they begin much like i do on sunday evening often when i do the announcements i i i'd say grace and peace to you that's a salutation if you go into a dutch reformed worship service they'll begin with that some other reformed churches will too but it's largely in our 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 among our dutch brethren it's okay that's what Paul does here. He begins with this greeting, this salutation. But the second thing I want you to notice is how particular Paul is. This is not a generic address. This is not a generic greeting. This is a, a particular greeting. It's particular to the church, but it's even more specific in that he names the church, the local church. It's the church of the Thessalonians. You see it there, to the church. But he doesn't stop there, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now notice that. We might say to the church at Thessalonica. Now, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge. But he says it's the church of the Thessalonians. Now, I don't think that's incidental. I don't think it's, it, it, it's without note. We should pause there. Why does he say that? Because it's their church. It's made up of them. The church is not a, not a building. It's not a, a space. It's the people. There used to be a Baptist church in an area where I grew up down in Alabama. And it said on the sign, this is where First Baptist Church of Rainbow City meets. That's pretty good. That's getting at the point here. This, this letter is to the church of the Thessalonians. It's to you people. In other words, you can't, you can't, no one can let your, close your ears on this. This is for you people to hear. You're the church. Now, some of you have a bad habit. When you're talking about the church, of talking about them. And I'm here to tell you, that's sinful, don't do it. When you talk about the church, it's us, we, ours. Paul's wanting this church to understand from the get-go, you've got to own this. This is your church. What's coming is for you. Whether it's grace and peace, whether it's I'm thankful for you, or whether it's repent, you have to to be conscious that this is for you. So, it's to the church. It's specifically to the church. We do not believe that God makes decisions or acts or addresses nondescript or nonspecific objects. At every turn in the Bible, 
I will be your God and you will be my people. Notice how specific that is. And then it gets even more specific when you get into the whole salvation aspect of it. Jesus will save his people from their sins. There's no ambiguity there. There's no general address there. That's very specific. My sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. They, the ones who heard my voice, they know my voice, they'll follow me. Very, very specific. That's the first thing. This is a salutation, it's a, it's a greeting, it's an address from, from these choice servants to the choice saints. And it's the church. Not a bunch of individuals, but this corporate body of believers in this town on the Aegean Sea, Thessalonica. Now, we believe God is transcendent. And that has meaning for us. That means that, okay, when God spoke these words, he was not just speaking in a time and place period, but this word, because it comes from God, it's breathed from God, transcends addressing the Thessalonians. It extends to all of Christ's churches. So it's for us too. So I remind you, I do this from time to time, particularly in the letters. It's easy, isn't it? And it's easy in a sermon. You know, you're sitting there listening and you hear something and immediately your mind goes to, well, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. And it may be your wife it may be your husband. It may be Pastor Sean sure needs to hear this one. Never me. I don't need to hear it. But, but it's easy to do that, isn't it? But this is to us, all of us. So don't miss that. Second thing I want you to see. It's to the church of the Thessalonians. But here then God embraces his church savingly and securely in this next phrase, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a saving embrace in that phrase. He's speaking to the church, but the church as objects of his redemption we see this in the position of the church. Where is the church? Well, it's of the Thessalonians, but it's in. See, that's, that's why Paul used two different prepositions. Of, in. Of the Thessalonians, in Christ Jesus. In God the Father. Paul's big on this in word. I in. He's big on it. How often does he say that we're in Christ? We're in him. Union with Christ. But here, and we don't often think of it 
but we're also in union with the Father. Jesus Christ said it this way, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We are in the Father through Jesus Christ. So we're both in Christ and we're in the Father. We're united. That's part of the whole deal, folks, about our security. That's the reason I say this here. We're, we're, we're being embraced savingly and securely. When we're brought into union with Christ, that means we're inseparable from Christ in that saving, redeeming sense. And likewise, we're inseparable from the Father. That's the reason Paul, understanding this so well, Paul could say that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Because we're united. We've been joined by grace through faith in Christ. We're joined. So if you're in Christ, if your faith is in Christ, you don't have to walk around with any fear that, oh, what if I don't go to heaven? What if, I, what if I'm not saved? What if? Well, we're to examine ourselves, be sure that we're in the faith. But once you look at yourself and you look at Christ and you say, no, I'm trusting him and him alone. I have nothing, nothing to offer, nothing to help with this. This is all on Christ and I'm laying it all on Christ. What is the definition our shorter catechism gives of faith? We often ask it. It's in that second vow to new members. We'll be interviewing another, another one of our single young ladies today after the worship service and she'll be asked to take that vow. Receiving and resting upon Christ as he is offered in the gospel. That's what faith is. It's receiving and resting upon Christ. If you find yourself there, I'm, I've, I've received, I'm resting on the Christ of the gospel. Then you're secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. You're in Christ. You're in the Father. Isn't that remarkable? Do you stop and ponder that? In this world, we live in such a hurried, harried fashion, don't we? We rise to go. We pause to eat, to drink, to refuel, to go. We go to bed at night to sleep in order to get up and go. And in this world particularly, with everything whizzing about us, the images that fly all over your phones, your, your, your laptops, your desktops, you drive now, even the billboards are not static, stationary. They're flashing. They're moving. It's hard to stop and ponder anything. We have one out here in Solway, a billboard that is. I can't ponder the advertisement because it moves to the next one too soon. 
And I'm going to tell you, I drive out through there a lot. I don't have a clue which advertisements are on that board. I see them, but they're flashing so fast because they got to make so much money. They don't give me time to ponder. And we can be that same way. We don't sit and ponder God's, God's saving work in us and for us. And the security that brings because we are united. We are in the Father and we are in Christ Jesus. And so we see that he has taken such good care of us, saving us and securing us. And again, please notice that this church is said to be in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I challenged someone one day on this. He thought I was wrong. After some months of study, he came back and said, you know, I've been working on this, and you're right. And here's what I challenged him on. I'm a Christian, he said. I believe, and all the I believes he he offered me were solid I believes. Everything that you're supposed to in order to be a Christian. But he didn't think church was necessary. He didn't think being part of Christ's church was necessary. And I said, well, that's just rugged American individualism. Go read the New Testament particularly, and you're going to find that most of what's addressed is us, y'all, plural. In other words, the church. Not you individually. That's a problem here in the United States. Because it's all about me and my and I. Everything is. But the scriptures are about us. It's a book to us, the church. And so we have to remember that, oh my goodness, I can... So you're telling me I can believe all the right things? Mm, well, okay, yeah, you believe the basics. But you, you, you don't really, because if you did, you'd obey. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And the commandments are, are over and over. Christ died for the church. We've been adopted into the household of faith. We're part of something bigger than us. And by the way, that should bring us comfort. That we're part of something larger than us. The church. We're not on our own. We're not left to fend for ourselves. We have help. We have brothers and sisters, young parents. You have older folks in this church who have been through it with the not sleeping at night. And children who aren't obeying. Take advantage of these wiser, older couples who've, who've been there. 
and who love Jesus and love his word and trust his word, we're not alone. Single guys, single young ladies, you're not alone. You have, you have much wisdom to draw on for making decisions about work and relationships. This is about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul starts this. To the church of the Thessalonians. It's your church. It's not them and they. It's us. And we're redeemed in Christ Jesus. We're secure in the Father. And that should give us great hope. And when we stop and ponder that, it will give us great hope. Well, we need to move on. The third thing we see is that God embraces his church lavishly. He greets, he embraces in salvation terms, in security terms, and then he, he just pours it on to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. A few years ago, I preached from another one of the epistles. Paul starts the similar way. And the whole sermon was just on the grace and the peace. Well, I'm not doing that obviously today. It's the third point. But grace, that which we do not deserve. And notice, it's matter of fact. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. It's a statement of fact. That's what's being given here. And that's what's ours. Grace. Grace. In brief, what Paul's saying here is, I am extending to you on the authority of God himself everything you need. I'm about to talk to you about some of your, your immaturity, about some of your sins. But you've got everything you need to hear these words that follow and to deal with your problems. Grace and peace. Unmerited favor. Listen, that's what we read in the prologue, John 1, 16. Grace upon grace is poured out upon the church. What does that mean? It just means you cannot exhaust God's grace. And we need it every day. We don't just need it sometime in the past in order to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. No, we need it every day. It's, 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 a, it's continuum. It's, it's, it's what he pours out upon. It's like this continual faucet, just unlike my faucet this morning at 8305 Birchfield, which in the middle of brushing my teeth ceased to pour out water. And I'm, I've prayed several times this morning that it's West Knox utility and not C.N. Wilborn. So I'm going to go, if I haven't water when I get back, I'm going to walk the, the line down the driveway and see if I see any bubbles. But I don't think we will. But with God's grace, there's never that interruption. It's always 
Listen, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what's Christ's gift? It's Christ himself. He's the one who is infinite, eternal, unchanging. Grace is poured out. If you're, if you're a believer, if you're, a, if, if you're Christ's, grace is being poured out upon you in this immeasurable quantity. So never, ever, that's the reason Paul could say after praying to the Lord that this thorn in the flesh be taken away, he could say, but if you don't take it away, your grace is sufficient. Because it is. It's unending. Immeasurable. Well, we have to move on. Not just grace, but peace. We read about that peace back in the psalm that we read. Twice, peace was thrown out. Shalom is the Old Testament word. Irene is the New Testament word. Same word, meaning wise. And it has to do with this, this breadth of everything. All you need. Comfort, strength, encouragement, guidance. You need it. It's in peace. Paul says elsewhere that the peace of God is beyond our comprehension. Why? Because it's, it's so effusive. It's, it's, it's everything. It's everything we need. And so we, right at the beginning, that's where he leaves them. To ponder before he goes into the rest of his writing. Here you have everything you need for life, for faith, grace, and peace. Peace with God because of the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. There can be no peace without Christ because He is the Prince of Peace. And so the Lord instructs those He lovingly embraces. His instruction is a loving embrace. He lavishes grace and peace on His people before all else. And next comes the instruction. But the instruction is not meant to shake the church, to make them, oh no. No. He starts right up front saying, hey, you're secure. Now, I, I just want to take care of you. I want what's best for you in your secure state. That's where we are today. We're secure in Christ if we're in Christ. And then everything else is just him taking good care of us. Not we're not we're not becoming more secure. We're not becoming more saved. But we're becoming more and more like Christ.
because he, he cares for us and loves us and is going to discipline us so that we do become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. I hope you're looking forward to this rest of this little book because that's what it's all about is us getting to be more and more like Christ. Grace and peace. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask now that you'd, you'd give us all that we need in these coming days. And if there's any here who need, need your grace and peace for the first time, we pray that they might trust Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that they might trust in him, rest upon him, and so have all of this from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.